We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Two outstanding guests on the show today. Uh, Two of my favorites. Fred Smoot will join us in the next segment. He's got a theory on quarterbacks that he will bounce off all of us. Uh, And I think you'll love this one. But when you talk to Smoot, he is great on the team currently uh, and the NFL draft always. Uh, Smoot's such a big college football fan, such an NFL draft fan. So we'll do a lot of draft talk with Smoot coming up in the next segment. And then with Jimmy Patsos, one of my favorite people, Uh, Jimmy's one of the most interesting people uh, out there in sports. Of course, Jimmy does a bunch of work for NBC Sports Washington. He works for Under Armour. He's down at the Final Four. We'll talk Final Four. We'll talk, I'm sure, about a lot of things with Jimmy because the conversation usually goes in a lot of different directions uh, with Jimmy. So uh, I think you will enjoy that. Uh, I'm going to get to a smell test here in the open. I've got two picks for the final four. Um, But I'll start with two quick things before we get to that. Number one, what an ugly opener for the Nats yesterday. They don't play today. They play tomorrow. We'll get Josiah Gray uh, on the bump for his initial start. But yesterday was ugly uh, in terms of openers. I mean, the Nats lose to the Braves 7-2. to Uh, Just a rough outing for Patrick Corbin. I mean, this guy really can't find anything in games that matter. You know, an outrageously high ERA with a 6-19 record overall last year. He goes three innings, 85 pitches in three innings, gave up seven hits, four runs, two of them earned, walked three. That was a disaster. Uh, Pitching-wise, Kyle Finnegan came in uh, in a 4-2 game. They weren't out of it, but once he got into the game, they were out of it. He gave up uh, a hit, uh, three runs, two of them earned in the ninth. And then some of their younger players, like people have been talking up C.J. Abrams, and I know that he is a he's a, a great talent. And, you know, Abrams and Ruiz and uh, Gonzalez um, are three players that they're really counting on from these trades over the last uh, year and a half. And he went 0 for 4 with not one, not two, but three errors in the game. Three of them. 
Uh, not good. Seven to two, uh, the Nats lost the opener. Um, the game went over three hours. Three hours and seven minutes, I believe, was the final uh, number on the opening day game. Although overall, the big league openers yesterday came in much lower uh, than the average of the last rec- uh, of the last few years. That's going to be the biggest result, I think, will be the speed of the games. And yesterday, they had a significant increase opening day-wise in stolen bases uh, as well. Uh, so it's been kind of quiet on the ownership front for Washington. Uh, yesterday was a pretty slow day uh, in terms of news after a very active early week. Um, but today, Charles Gasparino from Fox Business News Uh, tweeted out the following, and this is kind of the second or third time he's tweeted out something similar, um, but there was a twist on today's tweet. Uh, Gasparino, uh, you know, has admitted he's friendly um, with the Snyders, with both Dan and Tanya. So a lot of his tweets have come from, we believe, information close to the Snyders. Today's tweet read as follows. Latest from inside the Dan Snyder camp, on sale of the Commanders is that they are aiming for $6 billion sale and, again, have no problem with Jeff Bezos bidding. Snyder will, in in capital letters, not reject a Bezos offer because he understands that his role regarding the Washington Post does not involve editorial. That's funny. Really? Do you think Snyder cares whether Bezos has any kind of say in the editorial. By the way, he owns the paper. He has some say. Um, But do you think he cares one way or the other if he has a say? Do you think the reports early on that Bezos was being um, excluded from the process of being able to be a bidder, do you think all of those reports were wrong? I don't. Um, But look, the constant push from Gasparino over the last week to get Bezos into the conversation... It's very clear what's going on here. And again, this could be a little bit behind the current story. For all we know, Bezos made a bid today um, or made a bid in recent days. We've been talking about that. Tommy and I have been a bunch about how some of the reporting may be based on things that happened a week ago or two weeks ago or three weeks ago. It's been all over the place. But what's clear about the constant push from the Snyder side to you know not exclude Bezos publicly is to drive up the price, whether it's with the current bidders, the one that we know of for sure, Josh Harris, Schefter reported the Apostolopoulos bid. And what also must be true at this point, given the $6 billion sale number that Gasparino tweets about, that they're aiming for $6 billion, Uh, in a sale price, is that they don't have a true $6 billion offer on the table. You know, I know Schefter reported $6 billion, two bids, fully funded from the Harris Group and from the Apostolopoulos Group. I told you on Monday that it was my information from a pretty good source, and they were emphatic that the Harris bid is not going to be a $6 billion bid. They don't think what they're offering, which is somewhere in the fives, I think more than $5.5 billion, um, but less than $6 billion, that it's even worth that much. 
So clearly what we're seeing with Gasparino really pushing on Bezos and now including the aiming for $6 billion sale is an indication that they probably don't have legitimate, true $6 billion offers. There can be many ways to present the offer so that it looks like $6 billion with contingencies or with fancy accounting, Um, but I don't think that they have a true $6 billion offer on the table. That's my guess, but I think the Gasparino tweeting, which I think is very much kind of being pushed by Snyder. Remember, Schefter's source was one source he specifically said, and he was at league meetings with the likes of the organization there. Tanya was there. Um, Carl Schreiber was there. Uh, He is instrumental uh, in the Snyder's home office operation. Uh, I think that, you know, they don't have a $6 billion offer. I think Schefter's reporting was that he was hearing that the offers, you know, were $6 billion fully funded, but there may be ways in which they look like $6 billion but really aren't. Snyder's still looking for $6 billion, and it would sound like at this point he doesn't have it. I still don't think that's going to stop anything. I don't. I hope I'm right about that. But I think that there's one serious bidder. It's Josh Harris. It's less than $6 billion, and they'd like to get somebody else in there that either drives the Harris bid up to a true $6 billion number or they get somebody like Bezos to come in and offer 6 or more uh, for the team. Uh, anyway. Uh, let's get to my final four smell test and then get to Fred Smooth. Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's, it's time, time for the, the smell, smell test. test. 15-12 and 12 is the record through uh, the first two weekends of the NCAA tournament with one more to go. Uh, two plays, um, and they're both totals. I really don't like either side. San Diego State right now is a three-point favorite. UConn right around a six-point favorite. I've seen it as high as six-and-a-half in spots. I've seen it as low as five-and-a-half. I don't like either side. There's not a clear public advantage on either team. If there's a lean, it would be on the two favorites, uh, San Diego State and UConn. I like the totals in both games. Everybody's assuming the first game will be a low-scoring 55-54 kind of a game. So I'll go over 131 in the Florida Atlantic-San Diego State uh, matchup in the first of the two Final Four games. And then everybody's assuming a shootout between UConn and Miami, two teams that have gone gone regularly uh, for 80-plus in this tournament. The number is at 149. I'll go under 149. So over in the first game, 131. Under in the nightcap, 149. Those are your two plays. In terms of the two games, man, I think think the the first game is going to be a much better game than probably the interest level uh, will reflect. Uh, Two teams that have really played well throughout the tournament. Florida Atlantic did play another very good defensive team in Tennessee in this tournament, and Tennessee shot so poorly in the second half. San Diego State will be a better defensive team and a more capable offensive team that they'll face. So I kind of lean Aztecs, kind of like the way they play too. 
Um, and then in the second game, and I think I may have mentioned this already this week, UConn has not had a close game that they've won all season long. They have not been tested in this tournament. They have won by blowouts in this tournament. I mean, massive blowouts, 87-63 to 63 over Iona. By the way, in that game, remember Patino went off at halftime and talked about how great Iona basketball was and how he appreciated the, appreciated the effort? They were actually up on UConn at halftime, 39-37. Then they got outscored 50-24 to in the second half and lost by 24. Uh, then UConn beat St. Mary's by 15. They beat Arkansas. Arkansas, they crushed Arkansas. Um, that athletic team that had beaten Kansas, uh, they beat them by 23, and then they destroyed Gonzaga by 28. Um, but I've, I, I think I've mentioned this, the... Uh, Connecticut team this year has not won a game decided by uh, five points or less. They haven't won a game decided by five points or less. The closest game they've won was a six-point victory. And the games that they've lost were by two to Marquette in the Big East semis. They lost to Creighton by three in early February. They lost to Xavier by three. They lost to Seton Hall by one. Those are their last four losses. Every other game they've played in during that stretch, blowout wins with the exception of a six-point win at Georgetown. I think game pressure is how Miami wins this game. Put game pressure on UConn. Make it, you know... Have it be a 67, six, you know, a, a 62 62 kind of a game with two minutes to go. That kind of game. See what UConn, you know, is able to do and how they handle that situation. They have not had success in that situation, and they haven't been faced with that situation at all in the tournament. Still, with that said, I like a UConn San Diego State final. And then we can talk about that game on Monday if it happens. I actually think it would be a much better game than maybe a lot of people think. Uh, All right, up next, Fred Smoot, uh, followed by Jimmy Patsos. We'll get to both right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
Hey guys, you want to bet the final four this weekend and get out? My bookie will allow you to do that. Go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code Kevin DC, and my bookie will allow you to wager your initial deposit amount one time and then cash out if you are up. Mybookie.ag, promo code Kevin DC. All the final four action you want, all of the prop bets you want. Uh, they've got contests as well. Uh, go to mybookie.ag for this weekend's Final Four and Monday night's national championship game and use my promo code, Kevin DC. Fred Smoot joins us right now, and so much to talk to you about, including a lot on the NFL draft. But I want to start with the quarterback situation here. How would you have handled this offseason as it relates to the quarterback situation on this team? What should have been done, in your opinion? Ah. Uh. I think we jumped the gun a little bit because I think you, you work with the information you have. And the information we have was we didn't know one of the best organizations in football with the Baltimore Ravens was going to come and was going to get in this situation with Lamar. So I can't, I can't fault them for this. But I have to say this, Ian. Everybody is in love with the fact that we're going to get a new owner, but oof, wasn't this the year to have vintage uh, 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 our guy be himself, Dan Schneider? Because he would he, 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 he would have he would have paid Lamar whatever he wants. Like you know, oh, like God. listen, wouldn't you wouldn't you want two thousand three vintage Dan right now? Because he would have paid Lamar. This would have been over with. So if if we had vintage, you know, Dan and Vinny from two thousand, you know, from the early two thousands, who would they have gone for, Rogers or Jackson? They would have went for Jackson. They would have went for Jackson. One because he's box office. Two because of look at the wide receivers, running backs, and tight ends we have. Three, he's right down the road. He brings a fan base with him. They would have saw the upside in getting Lamar Jackson. And, but hey, when I look at what this team has done on the offseason, I'm not mad they can't get Lamar Jackson because they filled a lot of holes and they made it to where when they draft, they can legitimately draft best player available. And I love that. I don't like to go into draft trying to fill holes because you're one, you're one draft pick away from not filling that hole because we don't know a college player can be a professional until we get them around professionals. I just love the fact that already Smoot wouldn't mind just this year with Dan remaining his owner. Just remember that if this were vintage Dan Vinny days, they would have yeah. given, but you know, all they have to do is give up two first rounders. They would have given up four. Because they always <laughs> they always overpaid. You know, one of my one of my all time favorites, and you were playing on the team. No, I, uh, in two thousand eight, were you on the squad? Yes, I was there. Yeah, yes, so, yes, I was there. So remember, they offered Cincinnati two first round picks for Ocho Cinco, two first rounders. Mm. And by the way, yep. Cincinnati, the only other dumb team in the league, or one of the other dumb teams in the league, turned it down. They wouldn't even accept it. That's amazing to me. Still one of my favorite all-time Dan Vinny stories. They offered two first-rounders, and Mike Brown turned it down. All right, let's get back to what they did do. What do you believe Sam Howell is? Oh, well, man, you, uh, Professor, you're going to look at me and say, what the hell is wrong with you, Smoot? What's, what, what's in your coffee? <laughs> All right, but when I look at this player, and I love this about my quarterbacks, I want my college quarterbacks to go through something. Uh, you look at uh, Aaron Rodgers. He dropped in the draft. Uh, 
you look at all great quarterback stories, they, they don't come from usually power five teams that had everything at their disposal, five-star wideouts, five-star linemen, five-star running backs. Quarterbacks usually come from a situation that's kind of unsettled, where this kid was supposed to be a first-round pick. He's one. He, he's six months of football away from being a first-round pick if his senior season went different. And when I look at him, I say, who do he remind me of that I played against? He has a lot of Tony Romo in him. And when I say he has a lot of Tony Romo, he can he can make throws from odd angles. He can he's elusive, not fast. He's very elusive in the pocket, and he's a gamer. Put him in the game, he's gonna look better than practice. So at a high end, he could be Tony Romo or Kirk Warner. And I know they're saying a lot, but on the low end, that's what I think different about him. We don't know his floor. Like, we don't know his floor. I feel like I know his ceiling. I don't know his floor, but I know he has Airbnb enemy with him. I know he has a cast of offensive weapons, and now they're starting to fix the main thing that mattered. The last time this team was great, we had the Hogs, and until we replace that fat boys, we will never get back to grace. And right now, on the defensive side, we have a dominant group of fat boys, and on the offensive side, they're patchworking and making it to where we we can be dominant on that side. So I'm looking, I'm hoping somebody like Thanos, the, the second tackle from Ohio State, drops to us. Uh, Michael uh, Smith, uh, Smith from uh, Minnesota, he's a top-notch center. So at the end of the day, it's a lot of draft picks in this draft that can solidify this line. And then it's a wait-and-see pro- uh, process when it comes to our quarterback, Sam Howe, the young wolf. <laughs> the young wolf. Um, you know, a little bit uh, of an afterthought, a little bit too far north, maybe more like House Stark, um, as as you <laughs> as you would be familiar with. A uh, little bit underrated to begin with, but ended up uh, uh, coming out okay in the end. So, in all seriousness, though, like this whole idea of first round pick, uh, that's true. I'm not de- I'm not denying that that he wouldn't have been a much higher draft choice had he come out a year earlier. Uh, but he didn't go until the fifth round. Teams mm-hmm. passed him up for four rounds. Our coach, yep. you know, sat here the other day uh, out in Phoenix and and sold him in the same way he sold Carson Wentz, by the way, last year. And and I and my, one of my questions was, well, if, if he was so great, why did you wait until the fifth round to take him? Doesn't any of that make you think that this is coin flip or a little bit less than coin flip at best? No, it doesn't. It, it shows the flawness when it comes to scouts. Right? These are the same scouts for years that pick uh, Tom Brady in the late rounds. I'm sorry, he's the best player He's the only example. The he's the only example, though, oh, no, 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 no. I, 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 I can give you examples from my draft. Steve Smith went fifth round. Uh, uh, Ocho Cinco went fourth round. Uh, we always find diamonds in the rough. London Fletcher, late round draft. Like, you see this all the time. The guys that's paid to find out who can play this game at a high level, they are no different than me and you. Uh, see, here's the thing about it is, everything you do when you draft a player is a crapshoot. Yes, he showed me he could play in college. The league is a different game, and we don't know you can play it until we get you in practice, till we get you in games, and that's what makes the, the draft process so flawed. The draft, the combine is for one thing. It's not to find out the reason why I should draft you. It's to find out the reason why I shouldn't draft you. So the thing about it is it's only to, to make check marks on why not. And we know this for a fact. The first round is all safe picks. 
right? These are the picks that keep these guys higher. All right, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Now you got to do some work. Now you got to find out what this guy can be and what can we get uh, from him. I'd never give scouts props for finding Chase Young, but I will give you uh, sure. props for finding Terry McLaurin. Right. I will give you facts for finding uh, Cameron Curl. Like, that's when the work gets done then. That's the meat and the bread of your team out of late-round picks. And your quarterback happen to have, what, a chip on his shoulder from Fowler's? To the respect of his guy because he came in as a late-round pick and kept on working. It's, it, it's just something that validates you in that locker room as one of the guys when you go through the same exact thing. And we know this about quarterbacks. Quarterbacks are independent contractors. It's them and it's us. They are different, but when you get one of these guys that's one of the guys, the team will rally around him. You haven't heard one Washington player say, I can't believe they started Sam, and we didn't sign Heineken. That shows you that in practice he gained their respect. Right. Look, I, I, I'm with you on Sam Howell's talent, and I'm, I'm not suggesting by any stretch of the imagination that it can't work. But when you started listing some of those players that were drafted really late, they weren't the quarterback position with the exception of Brady. I went back and did this, um, Fred, uh, last week or two weeks ago. In the last 23 years, this century starting in 2000, quarterbacks picked in the fifth round or later, there's one, one that became a significant quarterback in the NFL, and his name was Tom Brady. Now, Tony Romo was an undrafted free agent, so I'll count him. After that, nobody. I mean, the best you got is somebody like Mark Bulger or, right, or Ryan Fitzpatrick after, you know, fifth round or later. So I, I, think, yep. I think the odds going in are long, and look, part of that is, is probably because they don't get as much of a chance as a first-rounder yep. gets, and I, and I understand mm-hmm. that idea, too. But back to this team... You know, I have a sense of what you think about Sam Howell. What did you think of the signing of Jacoby Brissett? Oh, I thought that was great because not only is he a teacher, because I said, ask yourself this. You're going to bring in somebody to compete with him? Not really. You're going to bring in a teacher. You're going to bring in somebody to teach him situational football. And sometimes we learn lessons better from a player than we do from a coach. Dale Green was key to me starting from day one because he – put his brain inside of my head. I, I could learn from Champ. I could learn from Dion. It made it made me easier transition to the NFL. Well, at the end of the day, it's the same situation when it comes to this one where uh, you literally you go in with a Jacoba reset. When you come to the sideline, he will be waiting on you. It ain't no situation that he hasn't seen on this field that he cannot tell him about. So, yes, we brought in a capable backup that can step in for four games if he needs to and win it, but we also brought in a teacher and I ain't talking about a substitute teacher. We brought in a teacher <laughs> full time. <laughs> but you've just said, uh, you've just answered the next question. You don't think that this will be a competition? No, no I think it would be this. I think uh, if Jacoby Bissett starts, that means Sam Howell has shown that he's not a starter. It's simple math. If he shows that he's not a starter, then we start the guy that you can uh, you can trust. Because that's what Jacoby Brissett brings, a guy that you know won't throw the game away, a guy that you know going to be a professional, a guy that you can trust. So they're going to tell us all about this offseason, but they're going to give Sam Howell every chance to be that starter. Now, I got something different from you. You say you went – looked up and said every quarterback from the fifth round for the last 23 years. You need to go do this investigation, Shane. Every married quarterback 
are the only winners in the NFL. You can go through any Super Bowl. You can go through that. What, what did you say? Two. Every married quarterback versus like a and single quarterback? Single versus a single quarterback. Because if you look at the history, besides <laughs> Aaron Rodgers and Ben Roethlisberger, early career before he got married, they are the only two guys to win a Super Bowl as a single man. Married quarterbacks out trump the guys that single. And I think it's all because of single focus. If you can hold a household together, you can most definitely hold a team household together. Well, I mean, Philip Rivers was married with like 37 children, and he didn't win a Super Bowl, but I thought he was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's your, the- yeah. what's your theory? What's your theory on this? I, I, what, do you know what the – so you're saying just two in the last, what, this century? Ben Roethlisberger yeah. and Aaron Rodgers as single, non-married quarterbacks quarterback. have won the Super Bowl, and everybody else was married. It, Patrick Mahomes is married? Yes, Patrick Mahomes is married. Okay, was Tom Brady married? Was Tom Brady married when he won his first Super Bowl? No, he was single. Uh, and, and guess what? And he's a part of that being rough this early. And guess what? Do we give him credit for winning those Super Bowls? Or did those defense win those Super Bowls? Well, I mean. The de- the, de- the the it was a great team, obviously, and a great defensive team. Yeah. But was he married when they won him in two thousand three, two thousand four? Two thousand four, him and Giselle began their relationship. He settled down. I just think settled men settled down more than married. Team. Yes, settled down okay. at that time. And what I'm saying is, when you're married, you're singular. Your mind is on two things: making sure your household is good and making sure your team is good. But when you're not single as a quarterback, you can't hold a football family together because you're still living life like the <laughs> cornerback is. Like, I like my cornerback single, Chief. I like my cornerbacks and my wide receiver single. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you've got a different theory based on the position. So, yeah. So Sam Howell's not married, is he? No, he's not. What about Brissett? Uh, I think Brissett is married. Okay. He looks like a married man. He don't even <laughs> smile. You know, married men don't okay. smile no um, what do you think the team's going to do with Chase Young's fifth-year option? Uh, I, I think I, I, if I was a bed man right now headed to the MGM, I would say most definitely yes. They're going to give him every chance to live up to Chase Young. And I, I just I think they're going to go all out their way to give him net. But at one point, we have to say who he is and what he is. All right? We know what his ceiling can be. But we also starting to see what his floor can be. This is a typical year for him. That third year, and it's a lot of stuff he needs to dodge this year. He needs to dodge getting injured. He needs to uh, put the film. Uh, he needs to put the play on film to match what he did in college. I foresee a big year from not only Chase Young. I see a big year from Sweat, and I think that defensive line will be the catalyst that that moves us forward. And I tell people all the time. I do get this this front office props. I get a team props. For the first time in a long time, we got a lot of guys that's true Washington football player. We drafted, we nurtured, and now they're they're, they're bearing fruit. The Cam Curls of the world, the Defros of the world, uh, St. Juices of the world. This team is coming together. And that one piece is the quarterback. And now they're about to see patiently, do we have him in-house also? And, and, and you got to realize this. Here go a sneaky revelation. Maybe we didn't want the quarterbacks in this draft because Caleb Williams and Drake comes out next year, a better group of quarterbacks. So see who you have this year and worry about it next year. I think the only problem with that is they're too good on defense to lose 13 or 14 games and end up in that position. Like I think the worst case with that defense is they win six games. 
You know, and that that's not going to be good enough for Drake May or Caleb Williams. Ah, uh, you think, never say never. We just watch the uh, Panthers move up in the draft. It's always ways to get things done. Yeah. And one thing we don't we don't know before the season is how the season is going to turn out. Nobody, I said the Eagles was going to be a dominant team last year because I seen their roster. Yeah. All right, but we know how this NFC EC is. Nobody wins it twice in a row. I don't think it's happened in thirty years. All right, so that's telling you the Eagles probably want winning. So who are you going to put it on, Dallas? We we showed Dallas we can play with y'all no matter who's at quarterback. We have the roster to play with y'all. The Giants, we're not afraid of the Giants. This this is a tough division, but it's a division that we have the guys to maneuver our way through it. You know, it hasn't been 30 years, but it's it's been it's starting to get up there. It's 2003-2004 since the last repeat uh, winner and, in and, the and, NFC and, East. And that was Philadelphia. Philadelphia. That was Philadelphia with Andy Reid. Yeah, they won four straight. I think it was four straight uh, during that stretch mm-hmm. with, with Andy Reid. Back to Chase Young for one second. Tell me what you think's really going on with Chase Young and then with you know Ron Rivera, Jack Del Rio, Chase Young. What's going on there? Why is this even a decision as it relates to picking up his fifth-year option? I, I just think, like I said, expectations. Expectations rule the world. If you expect for somebody to come be Bruce Smith and they haven't been Bruce Smith, uh, you're going to wonder why. Right, well, we know it's injuries uh, and things like that. I think what they need to do is just all sit down and get on the same page, and that's what I really respected about Greg Williams. Anytime he felt like we were slacking, it wasn't, it's, it's, a, it's a face-to-face meeting. Here go my expectations of you. This is how I want to get it done. We need you in this sort of shape. I want you to come this, and, and nothing else will be tolerated. And that, that's the thing about it. They need to get on the same page because we all want the same thing. We all want him to be a perennial pro pro bowler. So the only way to get on that page is to sit down, lay down expectations, tell them how we're going to get Show him the roadmap of how we're going to get there and make sure he follows that. And if that doesn't happen, then you, yeah, you got to do what you always do. You have to let the guy go and you got to find you another one. One year from now, is Ron Rivera still the coach? You know what? Uh, I asked myself, how many games does Ron have to win this year to solidify his job? I would say double-digit wins. I would say nine and eight won't do it. Uh, squeaking in the playoffs with one, di- I mean, uh, single-digit wins won't do it. I think he has to really because this new ownership, we don't know who they are. They're gonna, they're gonna want the fan base to bubble. All right, they're gonna want the fan base to bubble, and there's three ways to do that: new ownership, one, which is a guarantee. Two, new quarterback, all right, which we're choosing not to go that route, i.e. the new coach. All right, so for him to take his name out of that, they're going to have to win double-digit games this year. If not, we will see changes, and I wouldn't be shocked if the changes are minute. Uh, simply uh, run moves to the front office and the enemy moves to head coach. I, like, I, I see that happening if, if it comes to that. All right. One of the reasons I love talking to Smoot is because he is a massive college football fan and he's into the draft. So let's talk real quickly. Um, What's your order on the quarterbacks? Like if you were drafting number one overall and needed a quarterback, who do you take? All right. We got the top five quarterbacks right here. And this is how I see them going. 
CJ Stroud, I think, is the safest pick out of all of them. I think he will start the quickest. I think he will be the one that plays as a rookie better than them all. I see the Carolina Panthers picking CJ Stroud. I think he got everything. He checks all the boxes. Don't have a lot of weakness, but he doesn't have the highest ceiling out of these guys. I think with the second pick, they come in and they take Bryce Young. I think the Texans do take Bryce Young because he has a little Pat Mahomes in him. His his his, his in pocket presence is 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 great. Have a little Drew Brees in him. He knows right. how to throw around people in, in between people, so he'll have no problem getting the ball out. Now, now we get into the thick of the draft. The question is, Anthony Richardson. He's the unicorn out the group, meaning he has the highest ceiling, but he also has the lowest floor. So he could either be. Cam Newton 2.0, uh, he could be Jamarcus Russell 2.0. There go the trick. Can you get him to a city where he can sit and watch football? He needs to be served up like grandma cooking dinner. You have to take time and you need to put some love in it. So at the end of the day, I want him to go to Seattle so he can sit behind Geno Smith and he can learn how to play the quarterback position. Then you unleash him. Will Levis, Will Levis to me is the classic. We're going to force you in the first round because that's what we do with quarterbacks. Every year, we force one of these guys in the first round, and we say, ah, don't worry about what he did in college. Look at his arm strength. Look at his mechanics. He's the guy that they're going to force at four. Now, uh, Herndon, Hooker, from Tennessee, I think going to be the surprise out the group. He's only dropping because he tore his ACL. And he's 25 years old. But other than that, this guy can flat out play. He can make every throw. His lankiness reminds me of Randall Cunningham. He has a tight, compact uh, release on the ball. And he could be the best deep ball thrower out of all of these guys. He's the one that's probably going to end up with a playoff team in the better position. Is there a guy outside your top five that that you know is a is a day two or day three pick that you would be happy if Washington took? I got two guys. I got two guys. I like to try. I like to try to find oddities. I really do. Like I like to find guys that something different about them for the position they play. Donnell Washington, the tight end for Georgia, is a massive man. Not only is he a massive man that can catch balls and run down the field as fast as he can, he's a massive man that moves people in the run game. He's a unicorn at tight end. He's very Gronkowski-like. Right? He's he's one of those guys that you can you got to force your way to try to pick him out to 30 and, and, and get in the line. And I also like Jack Campbell, middle linebacker for Iowa. He, he, yeah, Some I mean. about him says he's been here before. Like I feel like I've watched him play in the NFL before. Like he is—he's the guy I think going to lead the board before most people. And most people got him slotted in the second round. Somebody going to move up and pick Jack Campbell at an early, early spot. But I also love Emmanuel Ford from Mississippi State. He's a unicorn because he's 166 pounds. The same thing when y'all drafted me, Shane. Y'all were wondering how they going to draft a 175-pound corner. Well, I tell you what. He's the best. He has the best ball skills of any corner in this draft. He's the fat, He's one of the fastest in this draft. And actually, he's one of the few in this draft that can play off man just as well as he can play press. He's played against the best in the SEC his whole career. He is a winner. Whoever gets a manual fourth going to get not only the best ball hawk, but they're going to get a 12- to 15-year cornerback. All right, I was a- I was actually wondering about quarterbacks. If there were any yep. day two or day three quarterbacks that you liked outside your top five, like do you like uh, I, do you like DTR? Do you like uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson at UCLA or not? I do, 
But then I had to ask myself, who does he play behind? He can only – if I'm going to get him as a second-screen quarterback, he has to play behind Kyler Murray. He has to play behind somebody's skill set that's very similar to his, Justin Fields. Like, it's all about where do he go and where does his chances come from. If he goes where another running quarterback is, his chances of starting the game is very high. We all know that. I do uh, – Miami look at him and say, let's put him behind Tua. Is a guy that we can bring in uh, in the goal line. Is a guy that we can make plays for. So he, he right now when he steps into the league, he will be situational. Can you get him behind a quarterback that allows him to at least have one package all year that he can really learn? But no, he's an instant guy because he actually has a better arm than most people think he yeah. is. Because when people talk about him, they all they talk about is his runs. No, this guy can let the ball rip. He can he can actually play. So, are there any of the quarterbacks that you'd like for this team day two or day three? A, a, a Hainer or a, an Aiden O'Connell out of Purdue? I think he looks like a pro quarterback. I don't know what you think, but uh, is it? Yeah, I've been saying. O'Connell does. O'Connell does because he has the body and he has the the arm. I just don't know where his processing is. How does he read defenses? How does he process the play? His arm is so strong. In college, he can let the ball go a second later and still get there. I don't know if he can do that at a high level in the league because these cornerbacks are just too damn good. You know what your best call was, by the way, draft-wise? Because I remember specifically you and I talking about Debo Samuel, and you said he was your favorite player in that draft in 2019, whatever it was, 2018, 2019. You called him coming out of South Carolina, and you said, this dude's one of the baddest competitors, baddest-ass competitors there is in the league, and you you predicted him. So real quickly on corners, which may be a target – for this team at 16, who are the corners that you like? All right. Whoa, there's a lot of guys. Listen, that Weatherspoon from yeah, Illinois? Yeah, Illinois. He is, uh, he is another version of Chris McAllister. He, he is the most physical cornerback I've seen since Antoine Winfield. So you said McAllister. Right, he, you said Chris McAllister. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Chris McAllister. Yeah. yeah. Right? He, he, his body frame remind me of him, the way he attacks the run, and he's a sticky cover. I love Christian Gonzalez. I think him on the right team, he could be legitimately a special cornerback. But I think it's a couple of guys that we're forcing. Joey Porter Jr., I think if he doesn't go to the wrong team, I mean the right team, he will be exposed. I, I, just, I just think his, his, he lacks the ball skills needed to play with some of these wide receivers. And I think smaller wide receivers would give him a little bit more trouble than other wide receivers. And then back to my guy, Manuel Forbes, I just think he's the sneaky pick in this draft because he has the best ball skills. He also 6'2". He's the closest thing to South Gardner in this draft is Emmanuel Forbes. Do you like Banks from Maryland or not? I like Banks from Maryland, but but for you to grade that high on all of the stuff at the combine, where are the plays to match it? Where's the film? Where's the film? Like every like you gotta ask yourself, Shane, am I coming here for a bodybuilder? Uh I'm coming here for a track star, or am I coming here for football players? I right, football players. That's what I want. I want football players. And just because you kill the combine and you climbing people draft, it ain't gonna make it ain't gonna change the way I feel about you. You're the best, and we got today on the show the married quarterback theory. Uh, That's as good a theory as any other out there when it comes to picking personnel. But the married quarterback theory, let's find somebody quickly for Sam Howell that he can fall in love with so we can get him married off. 
Um, we need to get him married ASAP, DMV. We need to get him married ASAP. I'm telling you, she is. The more you study my married quarterback thesis, I like it. you will understand that it's, it, it, it has a lot to do with maturity. It has everything to do with maturity. You, you know what? It has to do also with the ability to sort of work together with somebody. You know, you, you and problem solve. You, you got to problem solve. You got to be less self absorbed, um, and and you got to be a, a part of a team. You got to be willing to uh, to give a little bit. Um, great. All right. How much? How much drama <laughs> less will we have with Aaron Rodgers if he was married? Like Aaron Rodgers is the ultimate wild card of I'm single, I'm wild, I'm gonna do stuff my way. You're right about that, and he's obviously a narcissist uh, definition yeah. uh, with his picture next to it. But with that said, I really think that if he ends up with the Jets, which I think he's going to, I think they're a legitimate contender next year with that roster. They are legitimate as they get. They can run the ball. They can throw the ball. And everybody's so happy about him coming to be a part of the offense. That defense run that team. Oh. Like, that defense is something special, but I am looking for New York Jets to New York Jets. Because right? one thing I know about this is if you bring in a quarterback with this with this me, 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 like Aaron Rodgers is, I don't know if Aaron Rodgers is going to be there in the offseason. I don't know if he's going to get the reps in needed like a Tom Brady. Uh, I don't know if we're going to fire him at a high school throwing to the, to the Wilson and the rest of these guys. I just don't He's one of them guys, he's like, put me in and I'm going to do my job and I hope everybody else do theirs. Well, I'm sorry. Football families require relationships. And the one thing we know Aaron Rodgers is not good at is relationships. Got to compromise, uh, and he's not willing to compromise. With that said, you know, I was just thinking as you were saying the Jets are going to do the Jets. Like, I think if I think the Jets in Washington are very close in terms of rosters. Great defense, really good playmakers on offense, just missing a quarterback. And I think if he were in Washington in the NFC, we'd be the second or third pick to go to the Super Bowl next year. Yes. Him, uh, if Aaron Rodgers was our quarterback, our Lamar Jackson, we would be, we, we would be legitly a Super Bowl contender. We don't have we don't have many weaknesses on this roster. That's why I gave the front office props. This is a roster that's ready to go. I and that's what we that's what we want to see. We want to see do we have that quarterback? Is Lamar I, married? Like I, uh, Lamar is not married, and that's why he last night on uh, on Twitter right now. He's not married. That's why he, he's on Twitter all the time. Well, he doesn't have an agent. He's got to communicate on his own. Um, but that's maybe why he hasn't won more than one playoff game. Uh, but yeah, yeah. But he is forty five and sixteen as a starter. I would. I, I've had this debate with everybody on the air on the radio show. I would. I would take Lamar Jackson in a heartbeat. I would take Aaron Rodgers. We've been in the wilderness for 30 years plus. Uh, And so give me, with this team, you know, Ron keeps talking about roster building. They've got a pretty good roster. They just don't have a quarterback. Hey, the roster is built now, but also, seeing we are a franchise, even at success, even at our pinnacle, we have not had long relationships with quarterbacks. No. We didn't have a long relationship with Doug. We didn't have a long relationship with Thiesman. We didn't have a long relationship with Ricky. We need 10 to 15 years of the same guy. You want to win a fan base back? If they know 15 years in a row I'm going to see Sam Howe, it, 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 it 
changes your fan base. We are a fickle fan base when it comes to quarterback because we have not been good in that relationship territory. No, we haven't. Uh, they are hard to find, though. That's for sure. Thanks for doing hey, this. Hey, 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 yeah. Eight billion people on this planet, Sheehan. Eight billion. We haven't found 32 people that can play quarterback at the same time yet. <laughs> Theismann was here, just so you know. Theismann was here for nearly a decade, but, you know, he started as a punt returner. He was Turner, a, yes. He was a punt returner his first couple of years as the third-string quarterback and the first-team punt returner. But, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, look, I uh, the last – you and I have argued about Kirk Cousins before. I don't want to start down that path again. But they had a guy. They had a guy here that was, you know, top ten to fifteen. And if they had built around him, they would have had a chance to win a lot more than they've won here without him. But that's. Hey, let me let me ask you this, Steve. What? Let me ask you this. My other team, the Minnesota Vikings. My other team. Yeah. I, I, you think they? You know, you think you know? If now that they look back. Was the Kirk Cousins trade worth it? Well, see, we're going to get into it now because uh, it has worked, but they have had horrendous, not not bad, horrendous defenses. That was the worst defense in the NFL this year. They've had terrible special teams while he's been there, and there was a major issue with the last coach, Zimmer. I think KOC loves him. Um, and I think they've got a chance, you know, to win another 10, 11 games this year if they can add some defensive help. They're, they they were horrible on defense. I mean, look what the Giants did to them twice. They got Daniel Jones paid that defense did. Yes, yes, it did. But we also know once you pay the quarterback so much money, that's why fair you can't point. get a defense. Fair, fair point. I, that's fair. No, that is, is that's 100% right. When you have that much invested in a quarterback – um, and he's not elite, he's not Patrick Mahomes, he's not Aaron Rodgers, then it makes it very difficult. You're right about that. And that's that's part of the, you know, that's part of the dilemma with Kirk. You're getting a top, you know, 12 kind of quarterback, you know, worst yep. case 15. Um, but when you pay him as much as he's been paid and he counts as much against your cap, um, you're gonna you're gonna struggle. They won 13 games last year. If they were just bad on defense instead of all time bad, I think they would have won a playoff game or two uh, this last year. Maybe. Yeah, I, I think they I think they would have. But like you said, when the disparity is like it is, it it, it kind of kills your defensive side of the ball. And, and we know, like everybody else, you need all three fastest to win. Yeah, I did, and I and I thought last year was their year. Green Bay was down, Chicago not too much, and Detroit is coming. That's a scary-ass team. Detroit is a scary team. I agree. But I thought last year was just – I felt a little magic with them. Uh, they was winning at the end of the game. They just would figure out a way to win the game. I thought Kirk was in his bag. He trusted his wide receiver. He would just throw it up more. Because that's one thing I always said about Kirk. He would take care of that ball. He'll hold it. To defend himself before he let it go, he let it go last year, and I think last year pretty much, even though it wasn't his best numerical number year, I thought it was his best year ever going out winning no games and taking control. No, no doubt, it was. It's a shame because when he was here, they were bad on defense, and in Minnesota, they've been bad on defense. But you're right, the contract in Minnesota kind of prevented them from building the best possible roster around him. That's a fair argument too. Thanks for doing this. It's great to catch up. Anytime, Professor. Let me know. Don't let's not wait too long next time. <laughs> you got it, Fred Smoot, boys and girls. Uh, always entertaining, great guest, and we've got another one coming up. 
our good friend Jimmy Patsos on the final four, and I'm sure a lot more right after these words from a few of our sponsors. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, jumping on with us uh, is one of our favorite guests of all time uh, and a good friend, Jimmy Patsos. Jimmy's down in Houston for the Final Four. That's what we're going to talk about, but I'm sure this conversation um, will take turns uh, and twists uh, where we're not even expecting them to go. What's the best thing, the most exciting thing you've done in Houston for the last couple of days? You know, that's really good good question because we're having a party here for Under Armour. So you gotta do some things like get prepped. We're having a luncheon at the Palm, the big boss Kevin Blank's flying through. This is a coaches convention. The women were in Dallas last night. So it's very rare, Kevin, that you'll have a final four women with Caitlin Clark and Iowa the super sensation. She's kinda like Steph Curry is she's really a you know, transcendent player. So Caitlin Clark's playing South Carolina an hour, you know, three hours away, hour flight away, but three hour drive. So it's a really interesting time because you have a function in Dallas last night for the women's coaches. Don Staley, our best team there. Brenda had a great run. Everyone was so impressed with me. A lot of people talked about the job Brenda Freeze did. And a lot of people didn't think she'd have that good a year because she had some people leave, including Julian Reese's sister. We don't want Julian Reese to leave at all, but Julian Reese's sister made a lot of money in the NIL. So it's kind of a compelling story that both Final Fours are in Texas. Then I come here to that, to Houston, and I was with Jeff Jones, the former AU coach last night, yeah. Kevin Brodus, Dave Odom and I, we always sit together at this dinner. Jeff Jones has a famous dinner every year. Then you go over to the double pump party, David and Dana Pump. I was with Bino Ransom, Kenya Hunter, who's from around here. Tony Skin, who just got a job. Keith Ergo, another local legend. Yeah. I lived with him. I tortured, tortured his poor brother, Donnie, and his nice <laughs> Cindy at the time. Yeah. And Bernie McCarthy, by living with them on Old Georgetown, we all bartended at the third and at, the, at T-Bones. Yeah. So this is what it's like when you have two Final Fours. You're seeing a lot of old friends, developing new friends, 
repairing relationships, building relationships. But we have a job to do here at Under Armour. We have Bruce Pearl coming today because Auburn's been our most successful program. I'm going to kind of you know, give him a shout out when he's when he's up on the stage. Kevin Willard, unfortunately, is too busy doing work right now because he's still rebuilding that program. I understand that. We're excited to see who gets the American U job. Is it Dwayne Simpkins, Mike Jones, or Josh Leffler? I also saw Mike Jones did a math coach last night. So it's a really interesting time, Kevin, because you run into people for friendships, but there's a lot of business going on. That's what I wanted to let everybody know. Like, there's business at hand. We want South Carolina to win the women's tournament back-to-back. She's building her dynasty. Gino Ariema has 11 titles. Pat Summit has eight. Dawn Staley's chucking right behind at three. And let me tell you something. She's she is chugging along. It's kind of a juggernaut. They're a really big team. We love what Dawn Staley's doing in South Carolina. On the men's side, we had Fairley Dickinson. We had some compelling stories. You know, you had Auburn and you had St. Mary's and you had, of course, Maryland had a fantastic year. Texas Tech is waiting on a coach. I believe it's going to be McCausland from North Texas. So this is what goes on business-wise here at the Final Four. Where did I go? So Florence Wong, who was Lefty Drizell's student, student secretary's here because she lives in Houston. You know, mm-hmm. you see people from the Rockets and things like that. Where have I gone? I had a lunch, nice little lunch at the Palm just to check in. That's where our party is today. If you're in Houston, it's too late, but it's going to be a great one come down this afternoon. You see your NCAA friends, the Pappas brothers. I'm sort of a state place. Went to a place, Clee, last night, had a pool outdoor. You forget it's Houston. You know, there's pools yeah. outdoors and clubs. There's indoor-outdoor clubs. They're talking about the Rockets and how they're tanking for Victor. So, like, this is all, and I'm, I'm going to throw everything at you. This this frenetic pace I'm giving you, Kevin, I wanted to give you that because that's what it's like being at the Final Four. Yeah, I um, was at La Diplomat last night for a late dinner with my wife and had the burger, which I think is the best burger in town, just um, to, uh, to, to twist oh, and turn this conversation. You're, you're, Oh, we love food. You're at the Diplomat on 14th, right? I used to go to Bistro de Quano up at the Diplomat yeah. kind of came in and took over the... Wow, the best burger at a French place. I think, I, I think Le Diplomat... Mon Ami. Uh, Mon Ami's, did, did you just throw out Mon Ami's burger? Very good burger. Very comparable to Le Diplomat. There's a place called A Voila on MacArthur Boulevard uh, in Upper Northwest near my house. Phenomenal burger. Belgian place. A great restaurant. But Le Diplomat's got the best burger in town. Um, so that's what I was doing last night without all of the other things. I was also at DC9 to, to, to listen to some music uh, before the late dinner. But anyway. How um, was an- that? How uh, was it, that? It was great. It was great. There was a uh, my son and his girlfriend have a band. They opened up for some red hot, uh, you know, band called Elio. They've sold out everywhere they've gone, and they're blowing up a little bit. And, and uh, I was not down there to see them. Well, you write that down. I was not down there to see them. I was down there to see my son and his girlfriend and their their pop duo. Um, they've been playing a lot. They've got an album out, uh, and they've been around town. They were they played at Union Stage last week, and and so I went down for that. And then Kara and I, my wife, cool. are they like are they like are they like Tedeschi Trucks type pop duo? Um, they're, you know, they're a little, if you know, Beach House, uh, if you know, Lana Del Rey, there's, it's kind of a combination of, of that. Um, but anyway, I'm not going to, we're not going to sit here and bore everybody with music conversation, but I had a feeling if I threw out Le Diplomat Burger, you might weigh in with your favorite burger. Ah. Look, Shake Shack's still in its own way. And I know it's a different kind. They, they just do it for me. Shake Shack when you, when you're at the right time. 
And then, you know, I'm gonna give, I'll give you a diplomat if that's what you like. I'm gonna, when I go to D.C., it's funny. I don't eat burgers. I like eat burgers in New York at J.G. Mellon's. And we'll switch. Mm. And that's an Upper East Side place. Yeah. And, you know, P.J. Clark's is down here. But I love the diplomat. That's my old backyard of my neighborhood. I kind of live over on 19th Street. I have a place in DuPont. I still have on 20th and 19th right there on S behind DuPont, right where Reagan unfortunately yep. got shot. So you, to see diplomat, to see D.C. 9 and all this stuff come back, Roaring back even better. And then post COVID to see that area develop, you know, how whoever started it with the Wizards, probably the Wizards, Caps, and, and Abe Pauling gets the most credit in my mind for DC. And this could be a historical show, but we won't do that of how important that development was because you and I were there when that was not a great area to go to. You, you ran for your life just to go to Studio Theater down there occasionally. The 930 Club was a serious adventure, and you better have a ride planned out of there. And now, from DuPont to, Har- to Howard University is just spectacular. The whole thing is just fantastic. It's a world-class city. And I think the diplomat has done a lot for 14th Street and its rejuvenation. But I'm going to tell you this. There's just no better stop for me than the original Ben's Chili Bowl. Yeah, it's great. Every time I go in, know him. But I really go in. I read the New York Post in the back. And then I'll go in. And I'll always bring a bunch of to-goes back to Baltimore. So you just got to love that area. My wizards are I got the Knicks Wizards this Saturday. It's a it's a trying time for the Wizards. Yet they're only they're only they're only well they're only a game and a half. They, oh, stop it! I don't. The play I, I'm more interested in in you know the 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 rejuvenation of our city. I think you're right. I think Abe Poland gets a lot of credit for basically doing what he did in an area that you know we wouldn't walk around in the daytime. You know, 30 years ago in in Chinatown, and then obviously the gentrification of a lot of of areas around town. Obviously the U Street corridor. But look, DC. When you and I, when when I was working the door and occasionally waiting tables at 3rd Edition when you, Bernie, and Giles and everybody else and, and Pete Haley and everybody else were behind the bar. By the way, you Tom never... McCarty, it, Carl well, well Carl, was, Carl was managing it um, as he was T-Bones. Yes. But, the, you know, at T-Bones, you were not a bartender. You may have been a guest bartender. You were an owner of T-Bones. You were a shareholder in T-Bones. I was a shareholder in the Oxford Grill when they brought it back. Another one of my great investments. But we won't <laughs> we, we digress and stay away from that. But yes, and leave my the Wizards. I'm telling you. Oh God, I don't want to. I don't want to be in the way. I don't want to be in the plan. I want the, the best. I want lottery chances increased in the best possible draft position. This conversation, I'll I'll entertain this conversation briefly, but real quickly. What I was going to finish saying is when you and I were spending a lot of time in Georgetown at 3rd Edition, at Nathan's, at Garrett's, and everywhere else, and occasionally over in Adams. was my spot on a Sunday. Paul's on Sunday. Fine. And occasionally in Adams, Morgan, at Cities or Dakotas or Perry's or any any of those places. Um, it It was not a city of neighborhoods. Now it is a city like a lot of northeastern cities are with neighborhoods, which has made it a much better young person's city than it was when we were running around uh, D.C. Because there were only a couple of places to go. That's a great point. That's a great point. All right. So to the Wizards real quickly, Jimmy, 
Look, I, I mean, and I love Chris dearly, and and I know he got into this thing, and and I understand what he was saying with respect to you know anybody that you know thinks they're going to go out and lose. No, no player on the floor, no player in a football game late in the season is going to try to perform poorly. Tanking takes place organizationally with the players you end up putting out on the floor, which will. Oh, I know. I'm in. I'm in Houston. Believe me, I <laughs> right. Two year plan. And Harden's coming home in a year. But it's already, it's already on the street. But what, Harden's coming home, and they're tanking now to get Victor. Here's the thing, and I know, <laughs> I know we have had this conversation before. The only way to legitimately contend for an NBA title, it's different than other sports because the best teams always win and because of the best of seven nature, because of the number of players on the floor. And since 2004, every single NBA championship team has had a top five player in the league on their team. If you don't have a top five player, you can't win an NBA title. We don't have a top 15 player. I don't think Beal, if Beal's top 15, he's barely top 15. And the only way. When he went, when healthy he was, but I hear you. He was, he was, is he getting too old? Does he have too many other things going on in his life? He's got a big contract, but when healthy, I love real deal Beal. He's just been nagging injury this year. But, but the I only way to win is to get a top five player, and for Washington, the only way to make that happen is to get lucky in the draft. Yeah, I'll give you that. Okay, so why do you want to? You want to play a, a play-in game? You want to play a play-in game against the Bulls or the Raptors, and 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 then and then what? To what end? Well, here, here's the here's the issue I have is that I was at the Pacers game when they won. And then they went to play the Sixers and they won a game. And I actually got to do it. I got to do a Wizards Sixers game. They, I mean, they did not win the game. I did. When I say did, for those of you listening, I do TV, the pre and post on NBC, which I absolutely love and I'm grateful to do because it is the NBA. And when you're in cities like Houston that talk about Akeem Olajuwon and Ralph Sampson, championship years, going to the finals and things like that. And that's what, I, that's what they want here in Houston. They don't have to hang a banner here in Houston, Kevin, but they want to be in the mix for a championship. Right. And I would take that in Washington right now because, let's face it, since I've been here for five years and I remember Wall standing on the table, that was in the second round of the series, which is very exciting, which we lost. It hasn't been – we're not in the mix for a championship. But, you know, Beal, a fantastic guy to watch. Everyone coveted him a couple of years ago. He's got to get healthy. Kuzma's been a really interesting to watch. I really like him. I wish he played down the stretch a little more the last two years, but he plays so hard on both ends, he's running out of gas. But I'll close with this. Porzingis has been a good find. Yeah, I agree. Porzingis is a piece. Porzingis is a piece of a team that can get in the serious playoff mix. What you do with the rest, is Denny going to get good? Shouldn't he have kept Rui because he scored? I know his contract's coming. This is not for me. I'm not that smart. I just do my games. Chris Miller and I love talking hoop. But we want to be in the playoff mix so you can have a chance to win it. So I do get excited when we were playing and beating the Pacers. We're going to move on from the NBA because whether it's Victor or the Twins, you know, the Thompson Twins, not the, not the whole me now Thompson Twins band, but there's Thompson Twins coming up. If it's Scoot Henderson, if it's Miller, if it's Jarris Walker, who I think they could really use and should trade up for a team throw Baltimore kid from Houston, should they take Hood Shafino because you need a, really, a, a real point guard of the future? He's the Indiana kid. Trace Jackson Davis in the second round. I can go through all of this. 
but you have to make some calculated decisions, and then Beal's got to get healthy. The free agent thing has always mystified me, that they can't get a guy to come home because it's such a great place to live. But you put all that together. I'm with you on that. I didn't say I want to hang a banner tomorrow. I agree with you. You have to have a great, great player. But we're close, but I do want to be in the mix, and that's what, that's what the message is. We're going to close on this with Texas. The Spurs have five banners hanging, okay? The, 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 the Rockets have two banners hanging, and the Mavericks have a banner hanging in the modern era with, of course, and now they're, they're losing with Luka Doncic, so they're in, like, a weird place because of Kyrie Irving. I don't know. But you're, you're focused on a Texas attitude right now, and, they, and they're going to be on your side, Kevin. We're big. We're Texas. We got a win down here. I just did a radio show all day at 6, 10 a.m. They're so happy. Houston and San Antonio have the two best chances along with Detroit. So, to, so the, those are the big three that are going to get it. They're all in on, let's get rid of this stuff now. Let's try to get right. Victor. And let's then try let's to get 10 years of chase. Yeah. And let's try to get, oh, and, and maybe it's somebody a little better. Because Kenyon, because, you know, Murray, Kenyon Murray out there at the fourth pick was great. And now the Sacramento Kings, Herder has a lot to do with this. Sabonis, De'Aaron Fox. Like, Beal's sitting there and we're wasting him. We do have to find a way through trade or draft. But the Texas attitude down here is we got a couple banners hanging up there, but we went to a lot of finals, and they want James Harden back, whether they like him because of his social social nightlife ability. That guy can get buckets. They went to the conference finals a bunch. San Antonio's got five banners hanging. Dallas went to the conference finals last year. And the, the attitude, it's just, I'm just closing on this. <laughs> closing on this here. for the fifth time. Yeah. Are we going to close on no, this or no, not? We're, no, we're closing okay. on this. That to have a championship aspiration takes some gutsy moves. So I'm on your side. I hope this is the year the Wizards make it. Whether it's through trade, you can't just sit there and pick where you pick. But they've done it in Dallas. They've done it in Houston. And they've done it in San Antonio. And that's the, that's the vibe down here right now while I'm in Texas. Yeah, I mean... I'll close with this. It it takes some of that, you know, some really good maneuvering, some really good roster construction by, you know, a solid front office. It also really takes some luck, too. You know, uh, Kawhi Leonard was picked at 15 overall. Uh, Giannis was picked, you know, somewhere, I'm forgetting, 14 or 15. Yeah, wherever. So it takes some luck because a lot of teams passed on Giannis and Kawhi. And speaking of the Texas teams, the worst thing that ever happened to San Antonio was not figuring out a way to keep Kawhi Leonard because they would have continued to be a threat. But uh, but I, w- my audience, which, by the way, is your audience right now as well, wants us to talk about the Final Four. They probably want us to talk about the Ravens and, <laughs> and the Commanders, uh, Jimmy being more of a Ravens guy, uh, obviously, and just talk NFL, but I want to talk Final Four. So, let's talk... Thank you for not making me talk about the Lamar situation because I have no idea. I hope it gets solved. It's not. He's probably going to play... Maybe he's going to play for you guys. No, he's not. They don't They don't have the ability with the ownership situation to write him a, a massive check. They're not going to do that. But since you brought it up and since you said, I'm glad I don't have to talk about it, I'm going to make you talk about it real quickly. Why do you think that there's been little to no interest in signing Lamar Jackson to an offer sheet. I think everybody's waiting for the draft would be my outsider's guess. It depends. If you get Stroud, I like Stroud better than the other guy, okay? The Kentucky quarterback's fascinating, but I don't know enough about him. Do you want an offensive tackle? Do you want the guy from Northwestern? I I, I am really just a fan of football. I do not dive into it all. Now, sometimes... 
when I'm at Northwestern, am I going to poke my head into football practice because that guy's supposed to be the best lineman ever? Yeah. Of course. But I think they're going to wait for the draft to shake out and see, and the Ravens don't have to do it. The Ravens are in a great position in terms of it's not great for the, what's going on at all. And we, we, were, we were a botched one-yard attempt from beating Cincinnati and having a fantastic year and winning without Lamar, which I think the players really, you know, are not really. I think it's a, dis, it's a, it's a very disappointed group that we could have had a chance to do something special and how hurt he was, I'm not a doctor. I'm not here to tell you the guy was tanking or not playing, but sometimes if it smells like fish, it's fish. Well, what do you do with him? You don't have to do anything. You just wait until he signs, and then you decide if you want to offer or not. But I don't believe in collusion and all that. The draft's coming up. The Patriots don't have to make a move until they see how back Jones looks in, you know, OTAs or whatever, and then who they do. But the draft is huge, Kevin. Look, your commander's... I actually like Tyler Heineke, but you let him go. I mean, I'm watching as a fan. But what are you going to do with your quarterback situation? What are we going to do with us? It's obviously a huge position. Can you win without it? A little bit. You know, we went to the Super Bowl with not the greatest quarterback. I lived next to Doug Williams in college. He was the backup when that all happened. And it was me, him, and Michael Adams all living near Catholic U. Oh, really? You've never told me that. You lived next door to Doug when he was in Washington? yeah, we all lived in the cloisters, and James Brown lived next door in Park Place. Now, this is when over near Catholic U was yeah. the greatest area, but they were gated communities. I was a senior with Lonigan. Doug Williams is working out. He saw us doing the heavy rope and running and doing ball. It was a brand new ball. Easy living, you know? And he can go right down the street to the Redskins. And, you know, Michael Adams wanted to live close to the city to kind of go out and hang out and then he'd drive out to Bowie. They practiced in Bowie and they played, but we were all in the same complex for like six months. And at the end of that, Doug Williams led us to the title. So the quarterback position is obviously a funny position. You know, I'm going to guy. My favorite is Bill Parcells, my friend Bill Parcells, who always says, all quarterbacks and running backs look the same when they have good blocking. They all look the same when there's no blocking, for the most part. He said there's obviously an aberration of guys that can play outside the lines. But for the most part, when you have good blocking, most quarterbacks are pretty good, and most running backs. Saquon Barkley was Really good this year. They had a good line. Stunk two years ago because they didn't have a good line. Like, is that the question? Do we have to worry? We almost won with Tyler Huntley. I mean, we almost beat the Bengals in Cincinnati. That's true. So I'm not panicked about it. I'm not panicked about it as much, but I'm going to jump on what you said with the NBA. You do need a top 15 guy. Five. A real one. And they... Well, you want top five, right? You do. And well, because but I'm just saying you need another guy. Because you, in because, the NFL, you can you can piece it together. What is this? Yeah, of course, NFL, of course, it's different. It together, yeah, it's especially not, in Baltimore with the strong right. defense. It's best best you know? of seven. So, best of seven proves over time that the that's best. That's very available. interesting. I like that. I like that. I, I never really heard that. That the best of seven really is. Like, yes, you're now you're being it's sarcastic. A deciding factor. No, no, I'm actually kidding. With, I'm not kidding. Well, best of the sevens best of always, seven. you know, that, that's why the NBA, you always get a true, you know, the, the best teams win. Now, hockey's different because of the random nature of a puck, you know, bouncing right. off, you know, pads and posts and, and, and whatever else and skates. But um, and the end. You know, in baseball, baseball, it's three out of five where you can have some guy just go cold. A hot pitcher. Hit, like Barry Bond. Yeah, right. You get a pitcher that pitches great. Oh, no, for... I'm, being, I'm being serious. I like that. Well, if you go back, uh, I can't believe we haven't had this conversation before, but literally if you go back through the last now, it, it would be 19 years, coming up on 19 years, the last team to win an NBA title without an obvious top five player in the game, 
was the Pistons in 2004 with, you know, Rip Hamilton. Larry Brown. Billups, Larry Brown was coaching. Yes, and Billups and Tayshawn Prince and who else? Rashid was on that team. Uh, ben Wallace was on that team. That ben, ben Wallace kind of rebounded his way to, like, the MVP, which was weird. But yeah. Larry Brown, when speaking at clinics, or if you talk to Larry Brown, and I know Larry Brown, the most amazing thing was they went to five straight conference finals. And right. that's what we're talking about. See, they, see, I hate when people are like, you got to get a banner or it doesn't matter. I need a chip. That's all BS. Going to the conference finals is very hard in that league. Yeah, it is. And you're on TV. Every, really hard. And you're on TV every... So Larry Brown's like, Jimmy, we had we went to five conference finals. You know how hard that is? Let alone going to the finals, which he's right. But his most important guy on that team, he says to this day, was Rasheed Wallace. Leadership-wise, toughness. But he was the best. He was at the time. And remember, this is, this is going back. And that was when I was in college, when I started seeing the pick and roll at Loyola a lot more in the Mac. I, New York City League, I didn't know as much about it. We ran the flex, you know, Carolina, Carolina transition and all that stuff. With people, All of a sudden, the pick and roll became a, a huge offensive weapon. Larry Brown was the first one to put a lot of emphasis on defending the pick and roll. Do you know the, the Cavs and Drew Gooden and them, they played the Spurs in the finals, there was only one game that went to 100. Right. All those games the Pistons played, like you said, Kevin, were kind of lower games. Well, Larry Brown's like Chauncey Billups, big guards with Rasheed Wallace, and we can defend your pick and roll so you can get to the championship. But you're right. Chauncey Billups is still almost a, almost a top 15 player. Rip Hamilton, that was a collective unit of very good players. But I'll give you that, that you have to have a player. But to the Ravens, and, and let's go right to the trips because we got to get to college basketball. Is Jameer Young good enough? Is Jameer Young is Jameer Young good enough to lead us to the title? We both know the answer to that. Yeah. He's not, but we have to have him. Julian Reese is starting to become the guy that could lead us to the Sweet 16, in my opinion, who had a great year. And now you have to take care of him in the NIL because he deserves a big race. I don't know what he was getting paid last year, but it wasn't enough. Jameer Young is coming back. We need Reese back. You need those two guys. Are you worried I about Reese coming Smith. back? No, I'm not. I, I know. I, I think Willard knows what he's doing, and he's got a kid, and he's very happy. And you're going to have to give him a huge pay raise. Welcome to the world. But Harris Smith is the guy I want to get yeah, to right. with Young, with Young, and with mm-hmm. Reese. And I think Jonathan Lamont's really good, and Jamie Kaiser unfortunately didn't play IMG versus St. John's, which Pat Behan, what a story at the St. John's level, what a tough one. But what a great year he had. Yeah. I was at the game. So I can't evaluate Kaiser because I didn't see him in person. He'll be in Geico this week. They're in Geico IMG, which is the top eight. But Harris Smith from Paul the Six is, in my opinion, an NBA player. So you're adding him, Kevin, to what you're – we're kind of com- – com- we're combining. <laughs> we're both right on this. You got Harris Smith, your NBA guy which you say you need to win it all. Yeah, but, and I say young and weak but are no, really important. But I was being specific to the NBA. College is different. And no, no, it's, college is the same. No, not really, not really, not really, not It is, but it isn't. You know, you still need, you know, UConn's got two, two or three pros out there, okay, including Jordan Hawkins from Montgomery County, then DeMatha in Connecticut, okay? San Diego State has a collection of guys. Long is really a, is, a, is playing like an NBA guy. I'm just saying I'm agreeing with you. But Reese and Young, you had to keep them. And Kevin Willard so far has Young coming back. I hope Reese, we're going to miss Dante and Hart. They did a great four years. They graduated. We're going to miss your voice in the choir. But we're moving on. And then can the bench develop? But it's Harris Smith from Paul the Sixth. I'm telling you, yeah. in my opinion, that in two years he's an NBA player. I don't think he's a one-year NBA guy. 
I think he's like Ivy and Suggs and Johnny Davis and all those kind of guys. I think he's a sophomore NBA guy. Okay. Um, <laughs> we are, we're, we're moving around here pretty quickly. By the way, I'll just throw in real quickly. I hated when the, the Bullets traded Rasheed Wallace for Rod Strickland. I, I thought you don't trade big for small, and I always was a massive Rasheed fan. And I think he's actually very <laughs> underrated. Um, you know, by by well, basketball. Kevin Garnett won't cut. I hear you, but by, by, by the average person, he's underrated. Kevin Garnett will tell you he's not underrated. They're a jump shot away from winning two titles with Rasheed right. in Boston. Don't forget that. Right. All right. So let's talk. Yes, let's no, talk. But final. I, I, that's funny. I did not. I didn't know they traded him for Rod Strickland. Yeah. And I love Rocket Rod, but another one of the not bullets wizards' finest moves ever. No. Um, no, it wasn't. Uh, all right. Um, Final four, first game, Florida Atlantic, San Diego State. Uh, no, nobody expected this to happen. Nobody expected to see these two teams. But what do you make of that matchup? What do you make of these two teams, coaches, et cetera? As much as it's going to pain me to say this, I have to give Chris Knocky credit. It's, it's, I'm, I'm reluctant to do that. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. He runs our DC Coaches <laughs> podcast. Naki's one of my better friends. Yeah. And Kelsey Naki's coming home. His daughter's amazing. She's right. coming to VCU she's, with she's, Ryan Odom. She, she's the and best, yeah. And with me, I might go around about the ways, but it's all connected. So Naki's daughter is with Ryan Odom, my friend, and I was with Dave at Utah State. And then we have Colorado State with David Roddy, who's on the Grizzlies now. So I've watched that league a lot. San Diego State has always been really good. They were really close two years ago. Along with Dayton, I thought they got screwed the most because of COVID. Right. In terms of making their mark, they were really good that year, Kevin. Yep. I take the Blue Bloods out, and you don't know if FDU and VCU are going to be good, and George Mason with Laranega. Those were all aberrations. Dayton and San Diego State, the COVID year, were excellent teams that were probably going to go, to my opinion, Sweet 16 minimum, probably the Elite Eight, which means you have a chance. So San Diego State, to me, as, you know, it's not just Butler and Trammell and Johnson. What's interesting is Dusty Mays, Brian Dutcher, and Danny Hurley all took those jobs within six months. Okay, all those three guys. Connecticut, go back to the Big East. Kevin Ollie thing's over. God bless Kevin Ollie, but he won a title basically with Calhoun's guys, and right. he won it in the American. They go back to the Big East, and they bring in Danny Hurley. Great move. Dusty Mays, clearly a great job. Florida Atlantic, who's now going to go. That, that conference, by the way, for those of you listening, could have, in theory, all the champions. The CBI was won by Charlotte. North Texas and UAB are right. saying they're going to win tonight. They're going to get that championship in the NIT. And now Florida Atlantic, who would have thought Conference USA? Now they're all going to the American to take Houston and Cincinnati's place. This is the kind of stuff that really gets strung out at the Final Four. And I don't have all the answers. I do a lot of listening, actually, at times. And at times, that was some self awareness. Love it. By the way, who can, <laughs> I, uh, you are a good listener because you're very, and I've known this about you for a long period of time, you're very curious. And so you do listen very well, but you're also a great talker. So continue. No, it, but you go through and you look and you say, wow, well, is Florida Atlantica, is this a one year wonder? Well, now they're going to the American with Memphis, which, as you know, is going to hand over recruits. And I, I have a feeling down in the Boca Raton Palm Beach area, there might be a little NIL money lying around. <laughs> yeah. Well, late, late, Coral late, Gables, late, Coral late. Gables also. Well, we're going to them next, but yeah. Lane Kiffin didn't go to Florida Atlantic on a win. But San Diego State's got a lot of 
San Diego State is really an interesting place. They, I'm friends with Steve Fisher, and Dutcher was with Bill Frieda to Steve Fisher. The, Dutcher's father was a coach, but Dutcher, Dusty May, and Danny Hurley are all within like six months of taking those three spots over. Now they're in the final four. A little bit more modern. Hurley's calmed down. Dutcher's a fan, but fair but firm guy. And I don't know Dusty May that well, but he's really done a good job. But And then there's Larry Nega, who has coached longer. Larinaga has been a head coach longer than those three combined. So it's really an interesting story. I think San Diego State's got a lot of legs. They have the most depth. They have a real nine guys. Larinaga plays five and a half to six guys. If you're betting, I would take the field versus UConn. That was my thing yesterday. I would take the, if you can take those three, because UConn's going to win two. And they're definitely, UConn is the favorite. They came in fourth in the Big East. And they're the favorite. The other three won their leagues. So this is the kind of stuff I was listening to and learning yesterday. But to go back to San Diego State, they draw the best in California, and it's not close. They outsell tickets by a mile. UCLA second, USC's third. You know, St. Mary's doesn't count because they only hold 3,000. But they, what St. Mary's does is say, we play the capacity. Everybody has a sell in recruiting. No one cares about Stanford and Cal anymore. And... That's it. So it's an interesting thing. San Diego State is by far and away the most watched and most liked program in the state of California from November to March. I didn't say when USC is playing UCLA or next December 21st right. when Maryland goes out to Poly Pavilion and Sheehan's going with us. Yes, I'm releasing that's, that date. That's really interesting. I, that is something that I don't think anybody listening knows. San Diego State as a college basketball program draws better than any other California <laughs> college basketball program. Look, and it's not even close. They've had so much success, Jimmy. I mean, Fisher took him to the tournament almost every year. Yeah, and they have a new, they fixed the arena. When he got the job, because Rob Aiden, the late, great Rob Aiden, he's my agent, who was the D.C. lawyer, helped him get out of Michigan, escape Bo Schemlechter's grips, and go down there. They averaged less than 2,000 people a game. Now, they had the Chargers. They had AHL hockey. People were going up to the Lakers. There wasn't as much traffic. It was a whole different. They are now like the isolated second-best team to go to in a large area behind the Padres, and they don't even play the same season. So that thing could go. And the Mountain West, my point about Naki is Utah State's packed. You know, remember the New Mexico and UNLV in that league? Yep. Boise State's. It's a really good league. And I actually think them and the Pac-12 what's left should find a way to merge. But let's not get too crazy. And those are other things you listen to. And Dave Odom was really great last night because Logan, Utah is a terrible place for people like us to live. It's a beautiful mountainous, quiet town. <laughs> yeah. You're not finding Coolies, no burgers. From the dip- yeah. No, 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 no diplomat burgers in Logan, okay. Utah. Okay? Yeah, well, well, Cooley, so, Cooley so, went to school at Utah State and now lives in lovely Cody Powell, uh, Wyoming. And they just, you know, he got really excited uh, with me of uh, like a couple of months ago because they opened up a Chick Fil A <laughs> in Helena that they got to drive to. Uh, Forty five minutes for Chick Fil A. Have you been out there? I'm going to go out there and see him this summer. Yeah, I'm going to go out and hang out. I've with heard him this it. Summer. Just I want to. And so we have Montana State at Under Armour, so I know about them because yeah. I talked to you know Travis Sprinkle. But when you hear all this stuff with NIL, with isolated programs where there's more interest, will the blue bloods be dying? And I don't mean dying to death, but just slowing down. Where Miami, who has money and also is in a little bit of a 
you know, Miami, the, Miami's a half hour from Miami Beach. You're not running down to the beach. like. But the Coral Gables neighborhood is just like Bethesda. Exactly. It's, beautiful. People live, people live and go. It's beautiful, but people go to live and go to school. They function. They want to go down the road and see the hurricane. You know, they got some real NIL money. They were the ones that, that, that took PAC from K-State and said, we're just going to pay right away. We're not going to negotiate. We're going to give you a two-year deal because we're smart businessmen. Yeah. But this is what's coming. Florida Atlantic is going to get some money. UConn is an isolated place, stores, that that's the only play game in town, too. So it's pretty interesting to see these four teams. My question for you, Kevin, is this a wave of the future? Like, should Ed Cooley have stayed at Providence where he was the king? He's coming into a very crowded market at Georgetown. I love Ed, but he can get up there and say, we will win games, and we will bring this back to where it goes. Really? Okay, Ed, show us. Show me you can do that because this is a city where people go to the Caps and the Wizards and the Nationals and the Diplomat and DC Nine to see bands <laughs> and do all this other stuff. All right, stop. They don't, they don't just go uh, to back Providence to, games. Yeah. Can Ed Cooley do this, or is this Final well, Four Masters? Well, you tell me how much how much George how much oh, money does Georgetown have? They have a lot, but does it matter to kids to play in an empty? What I'm saying to you is, Ed Cooley's a friend of mine. I'm asking you. Do you think this is a picturesque Final Four of the wave of the future? Um, I do. I, I now, I, I, I definitely do. I think that the NIL, uh, NIL and transfer portal just gives teams a chance to sort of reload and almost anybody to reload with older players, and that seems to be a bit of a trend with with older players. Um, I also have another theory about NIL altogether that I have no idea if I'm even close on. We can talk about that at another time, but netting it out is this. You know, this is the wild, wild west of NIL days, and at some point, all the money that's being shelled out to players that don't work out uh, in terms of their performance, or, you know, you shell out a bunch of money to a big-time receiver or a big-time quarterback, and a year later he transfers, it's not like there's a refund coming to the collective. You know, that that money is gone, and I just wonder for how long this money, this big money exists when the hit rate is kind of like the NFL draft hit rate. It's like if you're hitting at 30%, 33%, somewhere in that range, that's a good hit. But you're spending big money on these players in some places, and then a year later, they're gone because they didn't get the playing time they wanted or they didn't like the way they were being played, and it's not like you got to give that money back. But anyway, I want to move on from that. Who do you like in the game? First game. Uh, I like San Diego State in the first game. I think they're much tougher and stronger, and they're going to will their way. This is, while, while Florida Atlantic is a rising program, they're going to have big eyes, and you get distracted, and your aunt and uncle are coming in. And I'm not saying San Diego State's not surprised to be here either, but they've also lived in that world. It's a little bigger world, the Mountain West. I'm going to go on that. I'm not really talking basketball stuff. Dutcher's just a tough guy, tough team. You don't beat those teams you beat. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't walk through Alabama and things like that without being prepped and being ready. So I got them. Florida Atlantic, I love it. They've had kind of an easy run. They almost, I always thought, and I had this. I, had, I, had, I said, whoever won them in Memphis had a real shot at the Final Four. But I picked Memphis because one of my assistants is a, is a coach there. Right. But they, that was a tough game for them. And they've kind of had, you know, Purdue flames out again. Three years, three losers to double-digit seeds. Come on, Matt Painter, wake up, okay? We love you, but come on, cut it out. He's killing the Big Ten, you know, because it's his turn to win. And as Gary Williams taught us, when it's your turn to win, you owe it to the team, yourself, 
the school. You also owe it to the league. Like, like we were really proud to carry the ACC flag along with Duke. Carolina was going down. Then there was three of us, you know, saw Bobby Clemens last night. We talked about how great the ACC was, but it was Carolina and Duke's league. But when you have a chance to get in that mix, you have to do your job, and that's how you earn respect. And Purdue has really let the Big Ten down, in my opinion, because it was their years to be good, and they haven't been good in the tournament. But I say I use that because Florida Atlantic had kind of an easy run. UConn, he's got them playing at such a high level. I saw them in person in Albany. They just beat St. Mary's, just couldn't win the game, especially when the three-man went out. And he's a really good coach and preps well. And they've got bigger size than you think, and they have a good couple of young guards. Tyler Johnson's brother's there. And they were no match for UConn. UConn to come in fourth. What I don't understand is how UConn had that bad stretch in January, but I wasn't watching close. But they're also very deep and have two big men. So I'm going San Diego State beat Florida Atlantic. UConn, Byron Egg, if anybody can trick him and beat him, it's him. Once again, I would take the field because it's two. I think UConn's going to beat Miami, and it could be a little bit of one of those games that UConn is so hyped and they think they've done it and they've won, and then San Diego State's going to upset them and become the national championship. And Bill Walton can walk around Balboa Park and say, this is a fantastic place and all that stuff. Because he's a San Diego guy. I got San Diego State cutting down the net to the upset. How about this? How about, you know, UConn right now is a six, six-and-a-half-point favorite against Miami. The look wow, ahead, it's gone up to the, that high. The, huh? the look-ahead line for Monday night, if it's UConn and San Diego State, is UConn minus four. So the books view San Diego State as a much better test for UConn than Miami, who I think can't guard. Let me give you my theory on UConn real quickly. Um, If you go through their entire season, they have not won a close game all year long. Okay, Every three-point or less game they've been involved in, they've lost. In this tournament, they've won decisively in every game, by 24, by 15, by 23, and by 28 over Gonzaga. I think if Miami can put some game pressure on them, score, clock, game pressure. Let's see what UConn is in a tight game in this tournament because they haven't faced, you know, they haven't had many close games all year. The last two games that were legitimately close, they lost to Marquette in the Big East tournament uh, and to Creighton back in early February. They they've basically blown out everybody when they've won. Um, so I think if Miami can keep it close, they've got a chance. But I'm concerned that Miami can't guard. Like, I know they've outscored everybody, and they scored 30 points over, like, the final four. And that's kind of how he does it. He, he's I know. a great offensive coach. He trains him and trusts him. I love Larinaga. He's got a really good way about him. He's done well with Caputo. And, and, and there's another D.C. guy on that bench, by the way. And Bill Courtney's a great guy. I had Courtney on the show the other day. He was a great guest. Man, love him. Fantastic. Great guy. Love him. Yeah. He's come to third edition, too, with Chris Simpson from Bucknell. When they, were, they score a lot of points. Jim... Laranaga is a, is a priceless guy. He plays wiffle ball with the team, the whole dancing thing. Don't do that, but I like it. But he could, if he gets the lead, I, I hear what you're saying. UConn falls behind. Remember, they won once again. Miami came in first in the ACC. And you can say what you want. There was some pretty, pretty good teams in the ACC. Yes, the bottom stunk. They'll fix that. Florida Atlantic won their league and won their tournament. San Diego State won their league in their tournament. Like, these guys have won. UConn, Okay, they've, they've had some, you know, it's not been the easiest run, but Hurley has grown up as a coach. Mm. That's it. I, it would not surprise me. I would, I would take the five and a half sticks from Larinaga. If he gets that lead, 
and then they keep scoring, I hear you. Will UConn panic? Because if Hawkins doesn't make some of those NBA threes, I didn't see a lot of other shooters out there. I love Jackson. Went to my camp. Andre Jackson's the kid from Albany. Went to my Santa camp. Newton and all those guys are good. But Sonogo, I just don't know if Miller and O'Meara or whatever can, can cover him. But Larinag is going to play his six guys. He's not going to panic. And I'm gonna, it's interesting. But I just do think UConn's stronger than him. San Diego State has eight or nine really strong guys. Ryan Odenham and I talked about it. Their sixth and seventh men are legitimately as good as anybody starting. That step, they're tough. That Mountain West is tougher than you think. And they'll find a way to grind it down. And as you said, Kevin, you're the one that pointed this out. If that's UConn's situation in close games, that's what San Diego State thrives in. Right. I, I just would love to see in either Saturday or Monday night. Uh, by the way, I, I think it's San Diego State-UConn, and I think San Diego State's got a really good chance to win the whole thing too. By the way, I don't think I've seen a better team staying in front of the basketball defensively on the perimeter. I don't think I've seen any team like them. I thought Tennessee was the best defensive team coming into the tournament, but San Diego State is. But I'd like to see 65-65 with three minutes to go tomorrow night. And let's see what UConn can do. All right, I've got two more for you real quickly, and then you've got to run, and so do I. The first one is this. You have said on two different occasions about Danny Hurley. You said earlier, and I wrote this down, he's calmed down. And then you said just moments ago, he's grown up. Explain what you mean when you when you describe Danny Hurley, the head coach of UConn, that way. Look. You know, I haven't coached for five years, but people are like, what was your coach like? No, totally different. It's a different type of kid. You have to let him play two mistakes, and I think Hurley's done a good job. I knew him at St. Benedict's, okay? We knew him as a player. I love his dad. I don't know Bobby that well, but I know Daniel. But I know the dad the best, actually, him and his wife, Chris. And he's learned to to just teach and let kids play. He'll let guys get to the four-minute mark without yanking them out. He doesn't yell at officials too much. He commented how he yelled maybe during that five-year. You know, we beat him at Rock. He was at Rhode Island, and we beat him at Loyola. He paid us money. We went up there and beat him. It was a tournament that we went three and one, and Seton Hall was in there, and we actually won the Dave Gavitt side, which is beating Albany and Norfolk State. That's how they do these tournaments. Like, the one Maryland's in next year is really good. It's Asheville. It's in Asheville. There's four mid-majors. You play one of them, Kevin. Then you play your own tournament. Right. Well, we play... Davidson, UAB, and Clemson are in there with, with Maryland. This is how these things... Well, you get to watch other guys coach when you go to those. And Hurley was like myself, a little bit of a madman. I was just happier off the court than him. He's become happier off the court. I think he's settling into his role. You know, Wagner, he did a good job. He didn't even get to the NCAA. I don't know if he won the league, but he, Rhode Island really turned it around. Now they're faltering. You saw how good they were with him and how they are without him. But he learned a lot of Rhode Island about how to have a program that's a state program that everyone relies on. Cooley had his own little Providence thing going, but Rhode Island Providence is two teams that both have, they split the state. I'm talking about managing the program, being great off the court, fun to see at this summer league, stuff like that, Danny Hurley. But coaching his team and then letting them play a little more and not getting all crazied up and everything. We've all done it. Look, my last year I did, I, I, I just sat there and Tried to do the Gandhi Zen thing. It didn't work. We were terrible. I did a bad <laughs> job. But you go you go through phases of where you find out where you can coach. I think Danny Hurley is in a really good place of knowing who he is, what he is. Luke Murray's on his staff. Come on, I know all these. Tom Moore's the head coach of Quinnipiac. He was on the bench with Calhoun. He's got that thing. And I think I'm going to jump right to this. 
I believe we have that in Kevin Willard. I think Hurley was the right guy for that job. It took him a couple of years. Yeah, they lost to the Maryland in the first round. Book night was a nightmare. Who knows? Last year they just got beat. He's got that thing, but he knew what he was doing. He has a plan. He's working the plan. You know, plan the work, work the plan, my own Dennis Green thing. And he's done a fantastic job of it. And I'm really impressed. And I was really impressed watching him up close in Albany to, to coach and get his team prepped and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I've heard, I heard, you know, stories about him at, at Rhode Island in particular. They played Maryland a couple times. Maryland destroyed him. I think it was in Cancun. Um, uh, one. I don't uh, think him and Turs. You're gonna. I don't think him and Turs. You're gonna go to the. No, the I, I, I don't. I don't think that's. I don't think that's gonna happen. Um, but I will tell you, there's a really good story, and I would recommend that you read it. Brendan Quinn wrote it in the Athletic about Danny Hurley and about how, you know, when he was at Seton Hall as a player, with obviously a legendary father coach, um, in Jersey City, a brother, you know, in the midst of winning two national championships at Duke, and he suffered from depression. He suffered from alcohol issues. And and, you know, he left PJ uh, at, at Seton Hall. And when, his, when, when Danny got in the car accident out in Sacramento as a rookie, Bob Hurley left St. Anthony's briefly, and Danny went in and helped coach during that year off. And that was like the beginning of his kind of uh, love for basketball. He's had quite a, quite a life, you know, quite a basketball life. I think it's interesting. I actually think he's a really good coach. Um, but I know he was very difficult on players, and not every coach out there loved him. All right, last thing, um, and that is just a recommendation for you because I know that you will really like this. I watched it uh, a few days ago, is Waco on Netflix. The whole Waco thing, which is now, believe it or not, 30 years ago. All right, 30 years ago, Dave. 30 years ago. I'm putting that in my little book to watch Waco, the Branch Davidians. I mean, I remember. The Branch Davidians, the David Branch Koresh. Davidians. No, one knew, no one knew what that word meant. Next thing you know, you're watching it on TV with your mother going, or your parents are going, what, what is that? And all of a sudden, it's burning and all that. Wow, it was good, huh? He's gonna wait. All right, Waco will be put down. Waco Netflix. It's an it's it's three parts. Each part is forty five minutes, so it's an easy thing. But what's amazing like about this Netflix show third about the 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 David Koresh uh, Branch Davidian you know shootout with the ATF and the fifty one day um, siege is how much video they have of the whole thing including what started it, which was this incredible shootout between the ATF. ATF lost four men originally um, and, and that, that, that started this whole thing. But you'll love it. You'll love the whole thing. You'll love the whole cult thing and how Koresh built uh, this cult and became, you know, uh, to, to all of those people, they thought he was the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, it's real. You know what? I'm glad you're going to say because when I moved to Albany, and I was going to, at first I was going to live in Albany and then went to Saratoga, one of the gems of the world. It was right. just fantastic, except there was just too much racing and too much going out. I lived in Saratoga for a year and a half. We, we had looked at a house, Michelle and I, and there was this group next door in, in Albany. It was like a nice area in the park, and there, there was something going on over there. And we realized later that was the Nexium people. Like, we're like, hey, what's up? Give me Michelle. I want to get wow. here. We live here. And they were very weird. And then they talked about this guy. And it ended up being part of the Nexium group. And so while I don't even remotely support any of that behavior, it's not normal. I'm a big normal guy, and I'm a big happy guy, and I don't understand it. I will watch for you. But the Nexium thing was going on, which those people went away. They were there, 
And we remember was that a, very w- quickly leaving and being. I, 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 it was the Seagram's girl. I don't know what it was. It was, it was, a, it was a traffic. It was a trafficking well. cult, wasn't it? Or, or, or am I thinking of something was, else? No, it was a combination of that. But the Seagram's girl was involved. And right. It'll be a big story. The guy was really weird, and these young kids were like, "I'm from Colorado, and I'm from the state of Washington." We met, and this guy's like, "Jesus Christ, you got to meet him." I immediately say to the wife, "We ain't living." I mean, this is gold. <laughs> We're not living here. Okay. I just want to play backgammon or like, you know, risk and have some beers and eat bad food. And there was, but to see that, to see how that gets, and it's a sad state of affair that our country can no longer get along. It really bothers me. I don't want to get into politics because I really don't care. I just do sports. I care, but I don't. I just want the Wizards to make a run. I wanted the Wizards in the plane. I know you didn't, but I will watch Waco because I think these things take on the life of themselves. But being 30 years ago, that's a long time. All I want to do is watch some Final Four and I get the Wizards versus the Knicks, and the Knicks are a really interesting team. But I'm going to tell you right now, my surprise team from the East is the Cleveland Cavaliers. And with that, Ooh. I got to go. All right, love see them. you. Love you too. Jimmy Patsos, everybody. NBC Sports Washington doing all the Wizards stuff. Uh, and follow him uh, like I do on Twitter. Um, which it's easy to do at Coach Patsos. All right, we are done for the day. Have a great weekend. I'll be back on Monday.